My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Well, good morning and Happy New Year to you. This is Pastor Lane Jones from the uh, Beacon Folk Broadcast, and we're so glad that you've tuned in this morning. And, of course, being the first day of 2023, it'd be appropriate to talk about some important uh, goals, maybe, for the new year. Sometimes we call them resolutions. And uh, my resolution that I'd like to really challenge you with this morning is to get back to the Word of God, get back to the Bible. And I thought it'd be interesting just to kind of give you a few of the highlights from 2022. Maybe you've seen some news articles on this. I got um, these from the Wall Street Journal. I remember in January, the Omicron variant was uh, coming to the United States, was uh, spreading fast. Thank the Lord it didn't hit as hard as the original COVID. A lot of fewer uh, deaths as a result of it percentage-wise and so we did get through that. And February was the, was when the baby formula recall took place, and also the Russian invasion of Ukraine took place. And of course, all the war, war crimes that would follow even to this day. Uh, March was when the oil prices began to surge through the sanctions on Russia. April was when Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter for $44 billion, and of course, it also was the month where the supply chain was beginning to really break down across much of the country. A lot going on there. April uh, was was that month. May May twenty fourth, there was a mass shooting in Buffalo in a supermarket that led to uh, ten deaths. About ten days later, on the twenty fourth, there was another mass shooting in the Texas school, killed twenty one. And that one, if you remember, the for whatever reason, the police did not enter the building. When they were there for about 78 minutes, and uh, of course there's a lot of controversy to this day on that one. June 24th was the day when Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, a decision that was long overdue, and we're very grateful for that one. July inflation really was uh, beginning to come into focus as we hit a new 40-year high in that area. Uh, there was also a drone strike during July where one of the strategists behind the 9-11 attacks was was uh, brought to justice, was killed. August was when Kansas voted against eliminating abortions across the state. That was kind of a surprise as Kansas was one of the most pro-life states and yet they voted uh, the total elimination of abortion down. There's also uh, illegal arrests in the illegal alien arrests uh, hit a new record on the southern border during August. Of course, it's still going on now. September, a Department of Education test revealed that the fourth grade the test scores were the worst in decades. Of course, a lot of that goes back to kids not being able to be in school during the pandemic. Queen Elizabeth also died in September after over 70 years as the Queen of England. And there were protests that were beginning in Iran over an Iranian woman's death after being arrested for a dress code violation she didn't have on her head covering, as I recall. And she was killed while in captivity. Uh, Hurricane Ian also came ashore in Florida, one of the strongest storms recorded to ever hit the U.S. October was when the Ukrainians hit a major bridge between Russia and mainland Russia and Ukraine, and that severely has hindered the Russian advancement across that area. Russians also began a huge uh, concerted campaign to wipe out Ukrainian infrastructure in October, and that's still going on, uh, targeting the electrical grid specifically. 
British government also has been in turmoil in the fall. In October, uh, Boris Johnson's resignation led to Liz Truss's term that lasted the shortest of any prime minister in uh, British history. After only a few weeks, she bowed out. And uh, so British uh, politics has been really in a turmoil. Uh, the, also, the tech boom was uh, finally came to a uh, stop as the um, weak reports across the sector led to layoffs. And that also happened in, in October. November, you had midterm elections, if you recall. And instead of uh, the big expected win for the Republicans, turned out to be almost an even split with the Democrats maintaining leadership in the Senate while the Republicans took control of the House. And then the, in um, also in November, there were two more mass shootings, so the five killed at Club Q in, in Colorado Springs, which was an LGBTQ nightclub. Originally, um, they thought it was a hate crime, only to learn that the man was actually part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and, of course, there were six killed at Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, uh, in that same month of November. December, protests broke out in China over horrific restrictions in COVID policy, and it led to the communists actually backing off just a few days ago on some of their restrictions. And then President Biden also signed the Respect for Marriage Act uh, that recognizes homosexual marriage on a federal level that uh, really has been a, a blow to uh, those of us in the Christian community. Really, I think our, our freedoms will be under assault in, in the next few years. Um, he also even invited a drag queen in the name of Marty Gould Cummings to attend the signing, kind of sticking a finger in our eye. But anyway, um, those things all happened in December. Uh, just kind of an overview of 2022. We had a lot of political turmoil, not only here in the United States, and but in England, in Iran, in China. A lot going on on the politics side of it. Much violence also in the United States, particularly with the 10 killed in, in the New York supermarket, 21 in Texas, uh, 5 in Colorado, 6 in Walmart. Um, all these mass shootings. Um, and there, I may have missed some too. Economic uncertainty uh, certainly has been a, a part of 2022 as often it is, but we have with all the senseless war over in Ukraine with the COVID fallout still lingering on with the violent storms that we've faced and just bad politics, uh, bad policies, and it goes across both parties. Uh, you, there's a lot of economic uncertainty as we head into 2023. Human rights issues are also um, in the forefront on the um, uh, from 2022 with that Iranian woman killed, with the uh, Chinese COVID restrictions, with U.S. freedom of speech issues, uh, tw Twitter files kind of bringing some of those things out. And there's a lot of moral confusion going on in our country with the honoring of drag queens, even kids and, and mothers bringing their kids to see uh, these uh, uh, very lurid uh, expositions, um, censoring of Kurt Cameron. Kind of funny, Kurt Cameron is a, a Christian man. And one library did not allow him to get in for the story hour to read his uh, uh, Christian book that was actually uh, very wholesome and, and encouraging the right kind of morals. But they would allow the uh, drag queen story hour, how that uh, flies. It's amazing. Uh, gender confusion is going on in our country right now. What will we allow our kids to be exposed to is a big question. And it's a huge battle. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 9, uh, there are two different women that Solomon is talking to uh, his son about. One of them is Lady Wisdom, and she goes after the simpleton. She says to the one who is simple, you know, come to me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you wisdom and, um, and, and help you to learn to fear God. 
And and Lady Fool says exactly the opposite message of stolen waters are sweet. The idea of, of, of doing wrong is fun and enjoyable. And it's kind of interesting to me that both of these la- women are going after the same audience, and that is the young, the simple. And so it's been a issue in our society, in our world, for literally millennia of who is going to influence the, the youth, the upcoming youth of the land. And um, whether it be the United States or in, in Israel's day, it was still going on way back a thousand years before Christ. So it's just a huge, huge issue that we need to really be thinking about and praying about as Christians. So what do we need as we head into 2023? We need God's wisdom and his guidance, and that really comes from the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, The Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so I'd like to take you to a passage this morning that we're going to focus in on when we consider some goals for 2023, and that is Psalm 19. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there, Psalm 19, and we'll get started. Let me just start by giving you a quick breakdown of how this psalm works. In the first six verses, we're seeing that God will speak to you through his creation. Many have experienced this. You, you know what I'm talking about when you walk out on a beautiful starry night, or maybe it's even during a, a bad storm, whether it be a snowstorm or a thunderstorm, or maybe it's a beautiful sunshiny day. Whatever the, the weather is, something struck you about the creation. And you were just marveling at it. Maybe you went down to the ocean, or or maybe you went to Niagara Falls, or whatever, wherever it was. Uh, this happens to us many, many times in life. Does God speak through his creation? And what, what the psalmist David says in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, is absolutely God speaks through his creation. But he doesn't just leave us silent from there, because there's only so much we can learn about God. We'll, we'll see what we can learn about him, but we can't learn a, a number of things about God without what we will call special revelation, without God giving us more information than we would get just by looking at nature. And that's one of the reasons why, for those of you that say, well, you know, my church is the woods, or my church is, uh, you know, the great outdoors. That, that's a wonderful thing to enjoy that, and we ought to enjoy that. But it ought not to eliminate the systematic worship of God with God's people and the study of God's word with God's people. Because God doesn't just speak through his creation. In verses 7, all the way down through verse 11, is uh, the the statements, repeated statements of how God speaks through his word to, to, to you and I. And so we'll look at that. And then the last uh, three verses, verse 12 to 14, tell us how we ought to respond to this. Like, how do I react to God speaking to me? And so let's start out by asking God to help us, and then we'll get right into looking at how God speaks to us through his creation. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for those who are listening. Bless them for it. We pray that you'll give them a a good new year. Lord, I know if they're like me, there's many things I can look back on in 2022, and it's a scarred year. It's a year that I wish uh, I'd done a lot of things better. And yet, Father, um, we are grateful if you've given us the time and the life to be able to go forward. We're grateful for the opportunity to grow, to be stronger in our faith, to be a better uh, Christian for thee. And there may be some, Father, that don't know you yet who are listening, We pray that even this day you might open their eyes to the reality and the wonder of your word 
And I pray that you'll bless our time together for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 14, uh, 19, starting with verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, or the expanse, or think of space, okay, in the sky. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And I'm going to stop right there in the middle of verse 4, and let's uh, talk about some of what we've read so far, about God speaking through his creation. Now, again, David is the human penman of this psalm, and he hones in on one aspect of God's creation. And there's a zillion things he could have talked about. He could have talked about the human body. He could have talked about the animal kingdom. Uh, if, if they, of course, he didn't have microscopes back then, but if they had microscopes, they could have talked about the uh, microscopic uh, uh, wonders that we are discovering even in the last uh, uh, few decades. But David focuses in on one issue, one one aspect, excuse me, of God's creation, and that is the heavens. Our sky around us, what we call our atmosphere on earth, and outer space. And what do we see? Well, he says, first of all, the heavens declare the glory of God. We see God's glory. We see God's glory through his handiwork. Again, that word firmament refers to all that is above the earth, from, from the sky that's above your head right now, all the way up through the, 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 uh, f- the physical universe, all, of the ex- all the extent of that that we can't even uh, see to at this point in our, in our um, technology. So the physical universe uh, is what we're dealing with here. And the theological word book of the Old Testament goes on to say that any passage in the Scripture that uh, contains that word firmament, um, it, it, it really can refer to some or all of that expanse. Again, from the sky over your head all the way out unto the uttermost part of the physical universe. And um, when one considers the beauty and the majesty and the wondrous way in which the heavens are constructed, it ought to lead you and I to give praise to God. You know, just a few days ago, I was with my family. We were getting together um, right around Christmas time, and, and so one of the things we did was we took a day to go down to Washington, D.C., and look around. We went to the Smithsonian, went to a couple of the different museums there. But, you know, as you're traveling through D.C. with your family, you can't help but admire many of the beautiful buildings there. There's a number of buildings that all of our tax dollars have built, and we went again to the Smithsonian. So we got to the American History Museum, we got to the Art Museum, and very much in, enjoyed being able to look at some of the beautiful paintings, look at, again, architecture within the buildings themselves, many things. And this is something that is, again, translates across generations. When the disciples in Matthew 22 had gone with Jesus to Jerusalem, and this was the last time that Christ was going there. They just had the triumphal entry. He was going to be crucified within the week. But one of the things that the scriptures uh, talk about is that the disciples came to Jesus to show him the buildings of the temple. Why? Because that brought glory to their nation. And rightly so, they had a sense of patriotism and pride in their country. And part of what they saw was, was the beautiful buildings. And they wanted to show Jesus what they looked like. Of course, Christ said at that time, there's not one stone that you're seeing 
that's going to be left on top of another, and that prophecy was literally fulfilled. Uh, not, uh, now, a few weeks ago, probably October, I, I was flying. My dad was, was uh, sick at that time and, and passed away in October. And so I was flying down to be with him, and um, I forget if it was coming or going, but we, on our particular flight, we're, we got up above the clouds. And it's interesting. When you're, again, looking at the firmament, you're looking at the expanse. I'm not so much able to see out into space. We're still in our atmosphere, obviously. But I was able to look down on the clouds. And some of you have had that experience. It's a wonderful thing. It, they, they look like they're almost you could step on them. But what a blessing it is to see the handiwork of God and the power of those clouds. You know, when a tornado, for instance, comes through a community or one of the hurricanes that hit the United States in 2022, those things can be absolutely devastating. And so certainly... The heavens declare the glory of God. So what should our response be to this? Well, it should be obviously to give God glory for what he's made and to appreciate and love the Lord all the more for the beauty and the intricacy of his creation. So when you look up into the sky, whether it be the clouds over your head or the beautiful blue sky on a day like today as I'm looking out um, while I'm preaching this message from my study, or whether it be when you have a telescope, maybe, and you're looking out into, into deep space. Wherever you look in the skies above your head, God's glory is shining through. That's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. Then it says the firmament shows his handiwork. Just like when you look at a beautifully constructed painting or a beautifully constructed building, and you say, wow, that architect, that painter, whoever it was that designed this thing, this work of art, what a, what a masterful job he or she did. Well, that's what we ought to do when we look at God's creation. We ought to give him glory. I want you to notice also there's a message that God is speaking through his creation, not just that he deserves glory, but he goes on. He says, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. So he's saying that there's a message that comes out of God's creation. Now you say, well, well first, first of all, he says it's, it's a daily thing, day unto day. So I want you to think about uh, what are messages that come out on, from God's creation as we observe it just even during the day. Well, I think we've, one thing we see is the brevity of time. Those of us who are getting older, um, well, we're all getting older, but those of us who are uh, past our middle years, I'm, I'm going to be 60 here in a couple of days. Actually, by the time you hear this, I'll be uh, past my 60th birthday, Lord willing. And what do we learn? Well, when we see day after day come and go and come and go, we're seeing the brevity of time. We're also seeing the consistency of God's creation. This is not happenstance. This is not an accidental thing. This is something we can set our clocks to. This is something that we can uh, bank on. We see the brevity of time. We see the consistency of God's creation day after day. We see the power of God on display, whether it be the wind or even a, a, a powerful animal that God created, or it could be, again, a, a lightning storm or uh, going to Niagara Falls or a, a, a rushing river 
or a, or a hurricane, whatever it is. We see the power of God on a daily basis. We see the minuteness of how small we are in comparison. You know, we can get an idea in our heads that we're pretty big stuff. You know, I'm a pretty big deal. The reality is, boy, you just look up, don't you? You take a look at some stars at night, how far they are away, and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a pretty small, insignificant person. I'm only one of what's almost 8 billion people on this little planet that's like a speck of dust in the universe that God created. We see the minuteness of ourselves. We also see on a daily basis from the creation the beauty that God created. Boy, from a deer, how beautiful an animal they are, to uh, a flower. And uh, I've enjoyed many times going with my wife through botanical gardens, and many of you may have done the same thing. The beauty of God's creation and the wonder of life. Whether it be a child that is born, of course, one of the greatest wonders, or, or, or again, an animal that is born, or, or watching a, a flower grow, uh, or watching your lawn even grow. It's, it's the wonder of life is there. Have you ever been walking in the summer, or maybe in the spring, and you hear all the, the insects in the, in the weeds? And sometimes they can be quite deafening. I remember one uh, down in Tennessee one time, the, uh, I forget what kind of insect it was, but they were so loud. It sounded like you're driving in a car with chains on it that are continually, you know, against the uh, pavement. That's what it sounded like. But why? The, this earth is teeming with life, and yet we don't find it really uh, in any large degree anywhere else in the universe. The beauty and the wonder of life are seen day after day. And he says, night unto night reveals knowledge. Now, again, what are the nights revealing when it comes to knowledge? Well, God's intelligence, obviously. You think of the orbits. We didn't even know how they worked until a guy by the name of Copernicus um, several hundred years ago realized because they they thought that the planets were moving what they call epicycles. And the reason why is if you are tracking that a planet in the night sky, it looks like they're going forward for a while, and all of a sudden they kind of make a little turn and they go backward. And so they, the best they could figure was the planets were out there kind of doing these little circles across the sky, these little, well, ovals, wouldn't be a circle. They called them epicycles. They couldn't figure out how that worked because their thought was the Earth was the center of the universe, or the center of the solar system at least, and uh, may have even thought the Earth was the center of the universe. And so uh, it was. Uh, that's the geocentric theory. Well, Copernicus um, looks at this, and he comes up with a thought radically different, and that is maybe why these planets look like they're backing up is because we're moving too. Maybe, just maybe, the Earth is moving, and it's moving at a different rate. And so at times it looks like the planets are backing up because we're actually going faster in our orbit than they would be farther out, and, and he was exactly right. The geocentric theory of the solar system one out, and rightly so, which means the sun is our, the center of our solar system, not the earth. And what do we see? God's intelligence, that these planets are, are rotating in space, and, and of course the stars, how beautiful they are, the galaxies. Uh, I think many, many of you may have seen some of the, our newest uh, telescope that went up in recent weeks, and boy, the stunning images that are coming back to us. And we're seeing God's intelligence out there, God's love for beauty. 
some of the, uh, the nebula that are out there and the beautiful colors that are in them. You see God's love for order as, again, predictability in the heavens. We see God's consistency, his goodness. You say, well, where do you see God's goodness in the, in the stars in the sky? Well, because for centuries, millennia, people in the, on the sea have been able to use certain stars to help guide them. And God said that when he made the stars, they're going to be for signs for uh, days and for years and for seasons. And so they are. And also, the night reveals to us our need for God's protection. How many of you have been maybe in a, in a major city, a place you were not familiar with, and you're there at night and uh, you don't feel as comfortable as you would during the day? And you know what? Um, that's rightly so, because most crime does happen at night. And so I want you to just think about the fact that even in the fact that we we at times sense a greater need for God's protection, and how many people have whispered a prayer to the Lord at a time of uh, when they're afraid, they're just quite honestly afraid because of being in some kind of a situation at night where uh, they're not comfortable. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. So we see God's message is coming out of his creation. Uh, uh, day after day it comes out. Night after night it comes out. The, 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 the handiwork of God and the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God coming out on a daily basis. And then we see also from creation that, that the language is universal. It's not something that you have to speak English or French to see the beauties of creation and to get the message from God. Here's how he puts it. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So he's saying that this communication that God is making through his creation speaks to every man, despite language barriers, despite geographical separation. Someone on the opposite side of the world can still look up and see the glory and the power of God and the message that God is giving them that, that they instinctively recognize, whether they want to believe it or not, is someone made this. Someone great and powerful and glorious made this. Now, then he, uh, David branches into one specific thing. Remember, he talked about the sky, and now he's going to give one um, heavenly body, and that is the sun. And so here's a specific example. He says, in them, in, in this uh, firmament, he, he, God, has set a tabernacle for the sun. So the first thing we see about the sun is it's got a specific domain. He called it like a tabernacle. Now, think about the tabernacle being like a tent. Okay, so the idea is the sun, which, by the way, also is moving from what we can understand through space, uh, but again, it's the center of our solar system, but it's still moving. The sun is has a has a has a path. It has a, a dwelling. He calls it a tabernacle or a tent. And so this is really a hint at the sun's uh, domain. It's uh, you could call it its orbit. Uh, it's also he says that um, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a man to run a strong man, excuse me, to run its race. So. The sun is not only has a specific domain that it is in, but the sun also has a glorious start to a day. And he compares it to a, a man getting ready to run a race, and he's strong, and he's good. 
And so he's not timid. He's not fearful. He's, he's ready to go. He's excited about the race. And, and that's the way the psalmist pictures the son, communicating again much about the nature and character of God. The, though the, uh, through the Son we perceive the power and the glory and the goodness and the majesty of the Creator. And David says, well, boy, when it comes up in the morning, it's like this strong man ready to run his race across the sky, ready to run it again. He also mentions this, its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. So what's he talking about? The Son's path through the day. And it's orderly. Again, you can set your clock by it. It's we we know what the path of the sun's going to be. We know how high it's going to be in the sky, depending on the month of the year it is. There's uh, we know when an eclipse is going to take place. The sun's path. It's a set path. It's an organized path. And then we also see the sun's heating of the earth. He says that there is nothing hidden from its heat. So all across the earth. Even you say, well, what about the deepest ocean? Well, the sunlight doesn't get all the way down there, but the sun's effect on the rest of the earth does have an effect then on the lowest part of the, of the sea. Obviously, if you had a frozen conditions up above, uh, that's going to in some way diffuse um, that, that colder temperature. And so the sun's heat does affect the entire globe. So we're, we notice through the creation that God is speaking to us. And we see God's glory coming out of his creation. We see his message uh, every day, every evening, the orderliness of his creation, the power of God, how small we are in comparison to God, how wise he is, how he loves beauty, how he is good to us, so many ways. This is revealed day and night, day and night. And we also see this universal communication. It goes beyond language barriers, goes beyond geography barriers. Any person on the earth that has eyes to see can look up and see the glory of God. We also see this specific example then of the sun and its domain, its glorious start to each day, its path throughout the day, and its heating of the earth. And so David is saying God is speaking through his creation. But he also now comes to the fact that God is speaking to you through his word. And we call this special revelation. There are certain things which we just wouldn't know without God telling us. For instance, we wouldn't know that uh, uh, God sent his son Jesus to this earth to save us uh, just by creation. We wouldn't get that. So there is what's called special revelation, which is found mainly in his word in the Bible. And this body of knowledge is so important uh, that we know and understand what God has spoken and revealed in, in the Bible to us. You, you, and you'll note also that David uses different words as we go through here to refer to the Bible. And this can be, by the way, a common method of restating a truth in a slightly different way, which is a common device in Hebrew poetry. But it also seems that these varied words, as they often are, give a little nuance, a little different flavor for what God's word is like. And so he begins to describe God's word in verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. What you find is in each of these cases, he gives a description of God's word and then how it should impact our lives. And the first thing he mentions is this God's word 
The Bible is God's perfect instruction. He calls it the law of the Lord is perfect. The primary effect of God's perfect instruction, the Bible, is to point people to the way of eternal life, which is why he says it converts the soul. This conversion is the result of God's word. The word that we render here as law, the law of the, of the Lord is perfect, is a basic root for actually the word that you find in Hebrew, Torah. And some of you may know that's the, the word that they use often for the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, this word has three basic uses. Kind of interesting. One was to throw or to cast. Now, under control, not just kind of chuck somewhere, but to throw something in a specific spot, often it could even be translated laid down in a spot. It also can be used uh, for rain. Isn't that interesting? And rain um, is, again, controlled by God and often is connected with blessing. But the, a third use for it is this idea of to instruct. And so think about it. God instructing us, and then there's that little the twist on it, raining these blessings through his instruction upon us, through his word. And then also, it's not just randomly chucked out there. It's thrown into our lives in a very specific fashion that we might be blessed and be helped. And what's to be our reaction to this? Well, our reaction is to come to know him. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So God's perfect instruction is meant to save us. This is not the only place this shows up. In Isaiah chapter 55, I'm reading verse 10 and 11, says this, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, many of you may have seen some of the wildlife programs that they have on television. And uh, maybe you're looking at a desert area, and only maybe once or twice a year there's a rainfall. And it's amazing, though, when the rain finally comes, and often it comes uh, in torrential thunderstorms. When that rain finally comes to that desolate region, life just springs out of it. And all of a sudden, that whole desert area becomes alive, and animals thrive. They'll come back there. They'll drink water there. They'll hunt there. All kinds of things go on. And you know, that's exactly what he, God is using that kind of a picture. He says, just like when the rain comes down and it brings forth and uh, you got flowers and, and, and all kinds of crops that come from it. He said, my word is like that. Where it hits. Remember, one of the meanings for that word law is to rain. He's saying the idea is where it hits, where it comes down. Boy, there's a blessing there. And we that's one of the great blessings we've had in this country for so many uh, decades. And that is we were a people that, uh, uh, that many of those that came to our shores knew the Word of God and loved the Word of God. And they weren't all believers by any stretch. And they weren't all perfect people, those that were believers. But they did have a love for the Lord. And many of them were used mightily. And God says, my Word is like that. It'll not return me void. It's going to accomplish what I please. It's going to prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And that's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11. In Romans 10, 10 and verse, 13, uh, uh, verse 17, we're told that faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. So again, the word of God is connected with converting the soul. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So there is a definite connection throughout the scripture with the Bible, God's perfect instruction and salvation. Now, the Bible is not merely perfect God's perfect instruction, but it's also God's recorded deeds. He mentions next, he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, a testimony is really, it's, I will think of it in a court of law. What are you doing? You're going and you're telling something that you saw. You're, trying, you're hopefully telling it as honestly and uh, accurately as you can. And what, one of the things that the Scripture has, not only perfect instruction, but it's got God's recorded deeds. For instance, it has the account of creation, how God created the earth in six days. It has the account of, of the flood, how God brought a worldwide flood in Noah's day. It has the account of Christ's crucifixion, of his resurrection. Many other accounts that are testimonies of what God has done, the, the Exodus being one of the great ones in the Old Testament. And these recorded deeds, what are they to do for us? It says they're to make wise the simple. Now, the simple is a person who is influenceable. He doesn't really know a lot. He's more ignorant of, the, of what's right and wrong and what's good and evil. And so uh, they're kind of on the fence. It's where we all start out. But what David is telling us is that God's testimonies, that the, the accounts of the great things that he has done are what give us wisdom going forward. It's what gives us faith to trust God that, yes, he did it in previous generations. He helped out previous generations of his children. He can do it again today. That kind of wisdom comes by knowing the testimonies that are found in the Scripture. There's a third way that God's Word is um, spoken about, and that is, he says in verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, statutes is another really word for rules. So we see God's just rules are uh, another way you could talk about the Bible. And I know a lot of people today, oh, that's terrible. Uh, we don't believe in rules. We don't like rules. You know, there's the old Outback Steakhouse, uh, no rules, just right. And it's kind of funny to me because you don't, you, you obviously have rules. Uh, the employees better get there on time. There are rules as to how much they're to be paid. Uh, there may be rules even as far as how you evaluate your employees, how you go about dismissing them if they're not behaving. There's all kinds of rules. So to say there's no rules, we're just right, it's kind of funny to me because it's, it's just not happening. But we do need rules. Uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, what if there were no rules about private property? Okay, those of you that, that have a house, um, aren't you glad that it doesn't come down to, well, somebody bigger and stronger just comes in and, and uh, knocks you out of your house and says, I want this house. Um, well, uh, this is my house. It doesn't matter. There's no rules on private property. Uh, you, I have every right to it, as you do. I'm stronger than you are. Hit the road. Aren't you glad there are rules on private property? You say, well, I don't have a house. Well, uh, what do you have? Maybe you have a laptop computer. Aren't you glad that there are rules that if someone came and stole your laptop computer, that justice hopefully would be done? If you know that person, you can get that laptop computer back and, and justice is done. 
that that rejoices our hearts. A friend of mine had a situation where a man was was actually stealing some of the property off off his farm, and just was had built a house and was right on or not a house I forget it was, but he built something on the the property of his neighbor, and they had to eventually go to court and straighten it out. Aren't you glad there are rules? We need rules. Aren't you glad there are rules for uh, for the highway driving? Could you imagine if if you just went through on uh, red when you felt like it? Imagine how many accidents there would be. Aren't you glad that there are speed limit rules when when you're driving through a, a school zone and that you are uh, restricted as to how fast you're able to go depending on how many people are in that area? Those are good rules. And what he's saying is, God has just rules, and what is our response to them? It is to rejoice in them. Just like when justice is done, and the person that robbed you is, uh, has to restore what they took away, that's, that's a good thing, and it makes us rejoice that justice was done. And what David is saying is, yes, God's word, it's perfect instruction, which converts the soul. It records God's deeds, which gives us faith, and helps us to become wise instead of simple. And it has just rules and it fair rules so that it rejoices our hearts when we know and, and, and do what is right and we see justice done. He says something else about God's word. He says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now you say, what's the difference between a rule and a commandment? Well, a rule would be something like this. Let's say in the military, the rule is you must obey your commanding officer okay so i'm a private you're a sergeant it doesn't matter if i'm smarter than you doesn't matter if i'm older than you what matters is you outrank me i have to listen to you when when it comes down to making decisions you outrank me and so i must listen to you that's a rule but it's not a command a command is when now the person that outranks me says all right private I want you to advance toward this hill over there and encounter the enemy. That's a command. So the commandment of the Lord is pure. Boy, is that ever helpful. God's word then has God's pure commands in it. Because, you know, the reality is when, when commands are made by flawed human beings, sometimes we get those commands uh, wrong, and it can be very disastrous. I think about... At Gettysburg, and maybe some of you have been there. And if you come to the the major place where uh, Pickett's Charge took place, which is a extremely long field, and uh, Pickett himself thought it was absolutely foolhardy to attack the Union Center on that day. He thought it was absolutely the, and he was right. But he was outranked by a general that had almost never lost to this point, Robert E. Lee. And Lee felt like his troops could do just about anything. And in the providence of God, obviously, um, and, and I'm glad that, that the Confederacy did not win, but here we go. Lee orders his men to go across that field, and they were they were cut down. Now, uh what do we learn? We learn that man makes up commands, and sometimes those commands aren't good, but not true of God's word. What does he say? He says the commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, 
And he goes on to say something else. It enlightens the eyes. It actually awakens us to the way things ought to be done. The impact of God's command upon our lives is to enlighten us as to a better way to live, the godly path that God wants us to walk. And now those commands could involve things like stop the order to stop committing sin, stop looking at or, or listening to ungodly things that are te tearing down your spiritual life. There may be a command to start, to go somewhere, to the idea of, of start going to church or start uh, witnessing to your family, telling them about Christ. Or maybe there's the um, uh, command to keep going. You want to quit. And the command comes from, from the uh, commanding officer. No, don't quit. Keep moving forward. Um, uh, so a command is different than a rule. It's I'm you're, you're, it's something I want you to do or not do right now if you're obeying me. And so we need to start some things. We need to be, some of you need to start being kind to your spouse. Some of you need to start uh, uh, keep on being faithful and honest at your work. Other of you, of you may need to stop um, doing some things, some bad habits that are in your life. Um, some of you may need to start studying God's Word because, to be honest with you, you don't know what His Word says. And when you do understand His commands, it is enlightening. So what do we see so far? The Bible is God's perfect instruction that points us to eternal life. It is His recorded deeds that lead us out of simplicity into godly wisdom. The Bible is God's just rules that give us joy when we live by them. God's, the Bible also is God's pure commands, and obeying God's pure commands opens our eyes to the right way to live. Think about a, a tribe in a remote area, and as is in many cases across the world, uh, the men were very domineering and, and actually very unkind to their wives on a normal basis. But when the gospel came into this tribe, it was in Papua New Guinea, when the gospel came in there, one of the things that began to change was how the men be started to treat their wives. Why? Because they, they were enlightened. God's word was preached to them about being kind to their wives and about being examples to their children, and they took it to heart. That's what God's word does. Now, he says something else. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This is verse 9. So we're learning about uh, God's word is, is also God's cleansing fear. The fear of the Lord is clean. It cleanses us, enduring forever. And what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord involves living under the reality that God is present and watching everything I do. Now, that does not mean he's always watching to uh, as a critic, but he is watching. He's there to help as well as to uh, hold you accountable. Psalm 139 is a great example of this, where David says, where can I flee from your presence? Where am I going to go where you're not at, God? You're, you're everywhere. If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. He's saying, you know every word in my tongue before I ever speak it. David was right. That's what living in the fear of the Lord is. It's understanding that God is here. He's here now, and I need to walk with him. I need to obey him and, and to follow and honor him with my life. It has a cleansing effect when we live in the fear of the Lord. So the result of 
living in the fear of God, and we get that from the Bible, is will have an eternal value because he says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So the choices that you'll make, because you know God is there and God can help, yes, and God holds us accountable, yes, and for those reasons, we make the right decisions and they have an eternal impact. Now, he says something else. He says the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What's the judgments? Well, those are his decisions. And so he's saying that the Bible is God's trustworthy decisions. They're right, true and righteous. God allows man to make many decisions on his own from our own hearts and minds, and many times we, we make them wrongly. Matter of fact, think of the contrast between how God is and even uh, such an august and and honored body as our Supreme Court. I mean, you look down in in the uh, 200 plus years of the Supreme Court, and sometimes they've made some very good rulings, and sometimes they've made some terrible rulings. And so you look at um, the the history of the Supreme Court, and to be honest with you, because these are humans like you and I, now very intelligent people, but they also have uh, their own way of looking at the law, looking at the at the country, and that influences them. And there are many times, matter of fact, we just had a Supreme Court decision just yesterday on the border. Uh, I think, uh, and, and honestly, I don't think people knew which way that one was going to go. Why? Because they're human beings and they can be swayed one way or another. Not so with God. He says the judgments of the Lord are true, that we're true has the idea of not only being obviously factually true, but it has the idea of being faithful, trustworthy, solid, that when you look at God's decision and you listen to what he, why he says what he says, and he many of, much of that we'll maybe get when we get to heaven, we will realize he was absolutely, completely right. Thus, our response should be that we should act in ways that we know will be determined as right before God. So he says, he says, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So we know that if, if I'm thinking about what God would do in a situation, that's a very good line of, of, of thinking. And that's what I ought to be trying to follow and trying to implement in my life. Then we have one last description of the word of God. He says, more to be desired are they, the words of God, than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So we have God's word as perfect instruction, God's recorded deeds in the Bible. God's, the Bible is God's just rules. It's God's pure commands. It's God's cleansing fear. It's his trustworthy decisions. But now we see that God's word is his incalculable gift. You can't put a price tag. He says this, it's way beyond gold. It's above any worldly value. Whatever you want to lay out there, God's word is better than all of it. He's saying God's word is better than any worldly desire, sweeter than honey. The honey called me saying, whatever you want to say is your desire, God's word is better than that. And why? Because he warns us about sin. He says, moreover, by them your servant is warned. God's word warns me when I'm in going the wrong direction, but it also leads me to great blessings for obeying him and keeping them. There is great reward. So we see that God speaks to you, and he speaks to me through his creation. He speaks to us also through his word. But now we've got to choose whether or not we're going to listen. 
And so David, in response to God speaking to him, has basically three main responses. First of all, he says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. So David, first of all, is listening to God and he's showing it by saying, God, I need help on secret sins. Now, what are they? These are sins that you know about and no one else does. And David is saying, even if I can get away with something, God, I got to deal with this. Cleanse me from secret faults. He also is concerned about acts of rebellion against God. Because he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Those are sins where I know the right thing and I do the wrong thing anyway. It's rebellion, rebellious acts. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. He's saying, God, if I could only be rid and freed from rebellion in my heart, I could have victory instead of bondage. I'd be growing in purity and I would be avoiding acts of great treachery. And for the most part, David lived that way. He did uh, commit two acts of treachery um, uh, in his life. Uh, But other than that, he really was a man that did walk with God. And then he's got one more concern, not only about secret sins and about acts of rebellion, but he's concerned about his thought life. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know why? Because David realizes that if his thought life is bad, then his actions are going to be bad too. So what do you conclude from this? Well, God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you through his creation. And if you'll let him, he's speaking to you through his word. But you're going to have to decide if you're going to listen to and obey him. So I'd encourage you, I'd beg you to make this year a year in which you choose to listen to God. I'll give you a couple ways to do it. Just when you're out in creation, look around and appreciate it. Enjoy those times. And I would really encourage you to make time to just thank and praise God when you see beauty around you and order and all those things that sometimes we take for granted. And then secondly, be a person that daily gets into the Word of God. And and I'm talking about your personal time of reading the Word yourself also getting into church. These things are very important because you know what? God speaks to you because he loves you, but you must choose to listen to him. May God bless you. I pray you'll have a great new year. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. Our podcast contains not only this Christmas series, but also a series on the messages that Jesus himself preached and our current study on the life of Christ. Again, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Life and light, he free.